Hello to all of you unconventional conventionists out there. Welcome to Rocky Talkie, the show where we talk about anything and everything related to Rocky Horror. I'm Aaron. I'm John. And I'm Nikki. And boy, oh boy, do we have a good one for you this week. It's been a super fun week over here, but before we talk about me, John, let's talk about you. What have you been up to this last week? Well, first off, it is fantastic to be back. I was um, traversing through the Amazon rainforest. That's my thing. Get your own thing. I was traversing through the Andes Mountains. There you go. Cool. I found Jack Squat. So it's nice to be back here to talk Rocky Horror with two of my favorite people in the tri-state area. Did you bring me a Toblerone? Are there are there other people on this recording right now? Did you bring... Or is there a special guest? Yes. Who? <laughs> this dick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it is, it is fantastic to be back. So the week has been pretty good. Pretty good. Or the past two weeks have been pretty good, I'd say. I haven't really done much aside from work and stream, if I'm going to be honest with y'all. But I did book... The Airbnbs for Savannah's surprise trip. Ooh. Savannah still has no idea where they're going. It's early January. I'm very excited. And the Airbnbs were a great price and they're in a great location. So I'm really, really, really pumped for that. Man, they are absolutely going to love that trip out to Jamaica, Queens. Yep, exactly. I can't wait for them to see the culture. <laughs> what about you, Nikki? What's been going on? What did I miss? Um, honestly, I had one of the longest weeks that I've had in a really long time because I was scheduled like just like a metric fuck ton for work and we were staying open later. So I worked a lot this week and I have no concept of proper time management. So I would stay up super late and then not get any sleep. And it all led up to Rocky on Friday where I was on about six hours of sleep in three days uh, and I was playing Rocky. Uh, and it was just, it was definitely a show. It was definitely a thing that I performed. I was told that I did a really good job and I was really funny. But all I remember is getting home and hitting my pillow and sleeping until five o'clock on Saturday. I love that for you. Yeah. So this, it's been a good weekend to recharge and to just get some well needed fucking sleep. Uh, and I'm really happy to be here, well rested and happy. <laughs> But no, it hasn't really been that eventful. How have you been, Aaron? Oh, it's been really good. It's been really good. Uh, this was kind of the last weekend that I think that uh, we were going to get before everything kind of ramps up into the October season. So uh, a couple of friends and us went out this last weekend and we had dinner down in Little Italy, which is always fantastic. I absolutely love that. And then we went over to uh, Marie's Crisis, this uh, fantastic uh, piano bar that only sings show tunes down in the village. Uh, and then we ended up over at Pieces, which is a fantastic drag bar. Uh, saw some awesome drag performers over there and had a wonderful night with that. And then the next day, our good friend Lola Montez came over and showed off her full finished calendar to all of us. And I've got it hanging up on the wall right now. If you picked up one of her Rocky Horror calendars, you were going to absolutely love it. I, I hadn't seen all of the finished pieces in it before, and it looks 
so fucking good. I'm I'm beyond pumped for everybody in the community to check this thing out because there is so much love and detail in all of her original artwork. It looks so super cool. That was a great way to kind of uh, wrap up my weekends before uh, everything goes a little bit crazy and Rocky starts up here again. So, yeah, very excited. Very excited. Hi, very excited. I'm John. Got him. Oh, Hi, John. Yeah. I'm Nikki. <gasps> there you are. Hi. Been looking all over for you. <sighs> And with that, let's get started with our first segment. Global news. It's round. What? That's not. It's also blue. It's flat. Oh. Well, before we get started with global news, we'd like to start off the show by wishing a very happy birthday to our number one slut, Susan Sarandon. I thought I was everyone's number one slut. You're my number one slut, John. Oh, okay. <sighs> now, we'd never reveal a lady's age, but let's just say that Susan turned 21 for the 54th time on October 4th. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. I got this. So 21... Plus 54 makes her... Let's let's just say that the traditional gift for her this year might be diamonds. What? Let's just say if her age was an amount of money, you would have a quarter, two dimes, five nickels, a 1985 three-cent piece, and a tuppence. Right? 75, gentlemen. Christ, <laughs> she's 75, and she should be damn proud of it. She spent most of her life being an A-list hottie with an ultra-successful career. I hope I'm a famous working actress in 50 years. 50 years, huh? So that means that Nikki is... Happy birthday to Susan Sarandon. And with that, let's move on to our first story. So last week in Global News, we were delighted to hear about an upcoming appearance from the man himself. Barry Bostwick? Adam Lambert? Tim Curry. (laughs) But the Rocky gods are smiling upon us because this week we got to hear a new podcast interview with none other than the other father of Rocky Horror. Ah, Jim Sharman. No, it's Roy Rossi. It's Richard O'Brien. Same thing. That's right, ladies and gents. This past Thursday, Irish broadcaster Ryan Turbidy had the pleasure of an interview with Richard O'Brien, who called in from his home in New Zealand. Ryan Tuberty is a Irish broadcaster. He presents the Ryan Tuberty Show and the Late Late Show. The Tuberty Show is a talk radio show presented each weekday morning from 9 to 10 on RTE Radio. And the Late Late Show is the second longest running late night talk show. After the American The Tonight Show, of course, to which we have to say, eat it, you fucking loyalists. They got to talking about a lot, including O'Brien's numerical dyslexia, his upbringing, and of course, Rocky Horror. Something O'Brien mentioned a lot in the interview was how juvenile the film seems to him today. He made a lot of the movie as an homage to the midnight movies of his time, but thinks that the whole thing came from the juvenile part of his brain, which makes it absolutely astounding to him that it's had such a long-standing success. He definitely finds it odd that the film has taken on a cult-like following, because when talking about how Rocky has brought happiness to so many people, he says he, quote, sees himself as a craftsperson rather than an artist, and sees Rocky more as craft rather than art. 
But as Richard says, if someone wants to turn around and call it art rather than craft, that's perfectly all right. After talking about the mega Chad thundercock nature of its decades-long popularity, they got to talking about how ahead of its time the film was in terms of sexuality. Specifically, O'Brien wondered if the film would have been as successful without Tim Curry and all of his charisma at the helm. He commented on how empowering and how much of a big relief a lot of the visuals Curry provided in the show were to a lot of viewers. And back when he was watching people watch the movie in the back of a theater behind the audience, he got the sensation that a lot of them, as they watched Curry strut down the screen, that, quote, they were finding something attractive that they had no idea until that precise moment they would, which I thought was a really interesting thing to pick up on. And definitely the sort of attraction a lot of people in the community developed for Curry when we first saw him. When asked if he can still stomach watching the movie, his only response was that he watches the stage show. Quote, I love watching the live show because that's different, which might seem like a snub for the movie, but he did end with, I can still watch the movie. It has its moments, it's clunky and creaky, but that's part of the charm. And, I mean, that seems to get it right on the nose. When turning his stage show into a movie, he said him and his friends felt like, the kids being given the keys to a big sweet shop. Number one on the list of things that tell you someone is from Beans on Toast Land. They call a candy store a sweet shop. And of course, he was absolutely amazed once it found popularity with the midnight showing crowd and even believes it probably got some kind of record for being the longest running movie in cinema history. And hey, Richard, we concur. Rocky Horror currently has the longest-running theatrical release in film history. The interviewers also spent time talking about how O'Brien's non-Rocky exploits, like the UK game show Crystal Maze, which he had hosted in the 90s. O'Brien thought the popularity of the show was also due, much like Rocky, to its childish attraction. A few other notable mentions from the interview, Richard still feels as though he's 70% man and 30% woman but is thankful to be born male in this, and I quote, dick-swinging world. He also thinks Brexit is a mistake. No shit. And next year, he turns 80. And if you take into account the fact that he's looked exactly like the Crypt Keeper for his entire life, he's really looking great and hasn't aged a day. This was a neat little interview. If you'd like to check it out in its entirety, we've got it linked for you in our show notes. And even more news from a different member of the original Rocky Horror Picture Show cast. Roy Rossi. Got it. Meatloaf will be at Motor City Comic Con October 15th through 17th at the Suburban Collection Showplace in Novi, Michigan. Roy Rossi is way cooler than Meatloaf. Motor City Comic Con is a yearly comic book con that was started in 1989 by comic book retailer Michael Goldman. Comic books are the big focus, but since 2003, it has increasingly featured a plethora of pop culture icons like professional wrestlers, actors, artists, and anyone else you can think of. There are panels, gaming, and in the past, they even worked with the Red Cross to raise money for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. This year, the convention will be a blast with a smorgasbord of celebrities. In addition to Meatloaf, there will be a total of 30 D to A-list celebrities, including Lord of the Rings' Elijah Wood, former member of InSync's Joey Fatone, WWE wrestlers Adam Schur, known as Braun Strowman in the ring, and Britt Baker, actor Giancarlo Esposito of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and voice of The Little Mermaid, actress and singer Jodie Benson. And aside from the 
random amalgamation of celebrity guests, there will, of course, be comic book guests like illustrator Greg Capullo, artist and writer Jim Starlin, writer Scott Snyder, and writer, artist, and producer Donnie Cates. So, okay, if Elijah Wood is the A-list, who's the B, C, and D-list in that list? Like, I feel like John Carlo is, like, B-list. I also don't know who Britt Baker is, so I'm going to go C-list there. So that makes, what, Jody Benson the B-list one? No, Joey Fatone has to be B-list, right? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think Jody Benson is more known than Joey Fatone is. No. Although, I don't know, because Joey Fatone no is big on TikTok right now. He That's also, true. like, does random shit all the time. I feel like, on, like, at least once a year, he's on a reality show of some sort. Hmm. Anyway, just had to throw that one, because, like, it was oddly specific, and I was like, nah, this is a pile of D-list actors and Elijah Wood. But... <laughs> hmm. And there will be a bunch of fun events, including, but not limited, to cosplay contests for the kids and adults, panels and Q&As, including a VIP special with Capullo and Snyder, sketch duels between professional artists, a live read-through of Winnie the Pooh in different famous voices by accomplished voice actors Jim Cummings, Nolan North, Ross Marquand, and Maurice LaMarche, and more. Motor City Comic Con is also welcoming a number of exhibitors to its convention who will sell comic books, graphic novels, collectibles, apparel, artwork, and, I mean, probably everything else. The con will not have strict COVID rules, but they are asking attendees to wear masks and social distance when possible. Masks can be removed when eating or drinking, and for the photo ops at the celebrity and comic guest booths, which will be outfitted with plexiglass barriers. Man, fuck that. Require proof of vax or get the fuck out with your event require this dick yeah tickets are available for purchase online at www.motorcitycomiccon.com single day tickets range from 30 to 35 bucks weekend adult passes are available for 85 bucks and the vip fan pass package which includes cool stuff like an exclusive print motor city comic-con merch and a fast pass for autographs and photo lines is a whopping 249 dollars a limited number of tickets will also be available for purchase at the door for an even slightly higher price. Maybe get them now. Again, the Motor City Comic Con will be October 15th through 17th at the Suburban Collection Showplace in Novi, Michigan, where you can catch Meatloaf as well as a bunch of other high-profile celebrities in the comic book world and otherwise. If you get to attend the convention and happen to catch Meatloaf, we would love to know how it went, so don't forget to write in and tell us all about your meat encounter. Meat encounter? Yuck. And with that, let's move on to... Community news. Community news. That just felt right. First up in community news, we've got a bit of a call to action for our listeners who want to help a fellow cast win some cash. The Michigan Rocky Horror Preservation Society has recently entered a scarecrow in the Wayne, Michigan Ripple Effects annual scarecrow show and contest, which runs from September 25th through November 1st. Each year, the Wayne Ripple Effect invites individuals and groups to design and build a scarecrow using pre-made frames and lots of imagination. During the contest, each scarecrow is displayed in downtown Wayne throughout the month of October. Scarecrows reflect organizations' missions and the creativity of the business or family who creates it. Photos of each scarecrow are posted to Facebook, where one like equals one vote. 
And of course, no contest is complete without a prize. The creators of the Scarecrow with the most votes at the end of the contest wins a cool Benny F. That's approximately one three hundredth of a Frank jacket. For those of you who aren't on nickname terms with your money. Or, you know, $100 for those of you who aren't familiar with Frank jacket currency. I'm pretty sure all of our listeners are. The contest has got some extremely creative entries this year. The Community Choice Credit Union has submitted a Bandit Burglar Bob Scarecrow, complete with a ski mask and sacks of cash that he presumably filched from Community Choice. The Wayne Public Library has submitted a Halloween take on a Disney classic, Scariel the Little Scare Maid. But of course, in our completely objective and totally non-biased opinion, the best submission hands down is Scarecrow number 20, submitted by the Michigan Rocky Horror Preservation Society. They've created an absolutely adorable and terrifyingly screen-accurate Columbia Scarecrow. Guys, her nails are even painted red. And did you see? Her tap shoes are sequined. <laughs> the cast did such a good job with this Scarecrow. It turned out so cute, and we're sure it's going to get a ton of votes. And let's be honest, it'll probably win. It will, Nikki. You want to know how we're so sure about that? It's because you, yeah, you, with the headphones, you're going to go vote for Scarecrow number 20 on the Wayne Ripple Effects Facebook page. That's right. You're going to go into our show notes, scroll down to the community news section for this week's show, and click on the link that says vote for Michigan Rocky Horror Preservation Society's Columbia Scarecrow. What happens if I don't, John? Oh, you'll see. And trust me, you won't like it. <laughs> Seriously though, guys, Michigan kicked this contest ass. Please take a sec to go like their picture and, you know, help them out. God knows every Rocky cast on the planet could use a sweet, sweet victory publicity within their local community. Not to mention one of those cool Benny Fs. And that link will be right there for you in our show notes. Next up, we wanted to spotlight some really fun community-made videos that we've been loving recently. The Francis Bacon Experiment from Buffalo, New York has been majorly stepping up their YouTube game leading up to Halloween, and we are all about it. About a month ago, Allie and Jamie posted an intro to Rocky Horror Costumes video, where they went over the broad strokes of how to put together Rocky outfits for those of us schmucks who aren't necessarily skilled in the arts of sewing or costume making, and they had my new favorite tagline, If you've got the will, you don't need the skill. <laughs> Honestly, that is the perfect mantra for putting together Rocky costumes. Some of the pieces are so freaking daunting when you look at them. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to make a spacesuit? What if I don't have the money to buy custom-made ones? Or worse, what if I need that spacesuit this weekend because I'm going to a Rocky show with my boyfriend and we want to dress up as TakeOver Riff and Magenta? Seriously, like how often do we look at the Facebook groups and see audience members making posts wondering how to get a costume together that'll look good? This video covers all of that, and it was dropped right at the end of summer, right as people are starting to get into the spooky season mindset. Their next video was posted about a week ago at the time of this recording and included a few more cast members. This was the quintessential how I got started with Rocky story time that we all have about two weeks after anyone new joins cast. 
I love these origin story times. It's always so funny that almost everyone gets started in such similar ways. I feel like no matter who the person is, no matter how long they've been around, they have one of two origin stories. One, I randomly went to a show and immediately realized these were my favorite people, or my friend, relative, significant other was on a Rocky cast and wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. Then I joined and immediately realized these were my people. I love these two. It's incredibly heartwarming and validating to know that almost everyone around you had the same spark of realization as you did, that they belonged in this community. Their most recent video was posted on October 1st to kick off the official Halloween season. Jamie and Allie posted a reaction video to Allie's first ever Trixie performance back in 2018. And this was such a fun reaction video to watch. I feel like usually with retrospective reactions, people feel a bit of an inclination to go negative with it. And they include a lot of like, ugh, I can't believe I did that. It was awesome to get to watch Allie relive exactly how much they were feeling themselves as they were debuting as Trixie and how much they were loving the way they got to captivate the audience and get them all riled up. Yeah, it's difficult to not be critical of yourself, especially with performance videos and especially where you might be playing a role like Trixie, where maybe you're feeling a little vulnerable about your costume and your body and the in-character choices you made in the moment because you were feeling it. This was so not the case here. Allie was living for that performance back in 2018, and they're living for it just as much now, and that energy made this a super fun and fantastic video to watch. We should all be so lucky to be able to look back on performances that way. I gotta ask you guys, what's the oldest video you have of yourselves performing a role? Is there a specific one you'd want to do a reaction video to, like years down the road? Uh, I think the earliest video of me performing like full performance is probably the first time that I ever did Trixie. It was for my first holiday show. And I enlisted my two friends, Sarah and Kristen, to help me with it. And what we were, were that we were carolers who would go around and like beg for money from uh from the audience goers. And obviously, every single time they tried to give us money, we would like, you know, run away. And what would happen is that the whole story behind it is that I got increasingly frustrated that I wasn't getting any money. So I believe it was the the beginning of the second chorus. I got I got like extremely angry and I tore off all of my clothes. And my other two carolers, (laughs) Sarah and Kristen, like ran up the aisles in horror. And I did the rest of it like, you know, as naked as I possibly could be in our theater. And the whole idea was like. If caroling isn't going to make me any money, then I guess taking off my clothes will. And I, I look back at it every so often and I'm like, that was, such a, that was such a really neat idea, but it's so niche that I can only ever do it during the holidays. What about you, Nikki? You got an old video that you would uh, do a reaction to? Um, I have a lot of footage from my early Rocky Horror career, but I think the one that I'd probably want to watch over is my first Trixie video too. Because my first Trixie was based on like the Patricia Quinn Strawberry Time Usherette. So I had like the costume and the wig and I had like a little uh, Trixie tray that I wrote like Strawberry Time on and I had a pin of Elvis Presley on. I thought it was really cute. Like I, I handmade most of the costume and I was really proud of it. So like costume wise, I think I'd be very happy. But it was my first Trixie and I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember being extremely uncomfortable and out of my element. So I think it would be funny to look back and just see like the awkwardness of it all. (laughs) What about you, Erin? I know you have to have something juicy. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure you've probably even seen it because the uh, the oldest video that I have is the one that I swear to God, Meg will show every single one of our friends sooner or later. It is a video that I recorded uh, in the theater in 2005. Uh, so I was probably 18 or 19, just having started Rocky. Uh, and it's the entire performance. We have the whole thing start to bottom in this little tiny theater in the middle of Nebraska. And it's I'm playing Eddie and Dr. Scott. Our Columbia for that evening was like a girl who had done Columbia a few times, but like she had never put together a costume. So she's just wearing like this cat costume. The fuck? Yeah, you know, you can get away with stuff uh, in a in a small town uh, Rocky Horror cast. And the funny thing about this is, even today when I watch it and you get to Hot Patootie, my my brain does one thing and one thing only when I watch somebody's video of a Shadowcast performance that's got the screen in it. I'm just constantly sitting there looking back and forth from them to the screen, to the screen, to them, to them, to the screen, and just sitting there going, are they accurate? Are they accurate? Are they doing it right? Oh, left hand, not right hand. And like this one, I don't know what's happened to me since, but like this was so, so good for Hot Patootie. Like we're talking like getting the correct rotation on the spins during the dance so that it matches up perfectly with the orientation of the actors on screen kind of oh oh be still my beating heart like i i still absolutely love seeing this the rest of the performance is not so great but uh that part is absolutely perfect and i loved watching it i don't like sitting through the whole thing because let's just say some of the ap lines that i run my mouth on on that one did not age very well uh, they are nearly 20 years old at this point, and um, there's a reason we don't do some of them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that has to be my absolute favorite video that I got. Like, it is super fun, and if you ever come hang out in New York, I swear to God, Meg will probably show it to you. So, uh yeah, I got that to look forward to. <laughs> well, I, for one, cannot wait. Maybe we should think about jumping on the home movie train sometime. That would be kind of fun. And we'd like to thank Allie, Jamie, and everyone over at the Francis Bacon Experiment for posting these videos. We love them. We always get so excited when they drop, and we can't wait for more. So please keep them coming. Oh, and Allie, how are you going to leave us hanging like that? We want to hear about the time that you got your Trixie costume stuck on the top of a tent. I mean, that sounds like a ridiculous story, and we are dying to know what happened. If you're listening, just shoot us a message and tell us so we can, you know, share it on the show. And if any of our other listeners have a ridiculous story that they'd like to share for Big Dick Storytime, a cool Rocky project that they're working on, or something neat that their cast is doing, you can write to us. Just visit our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out the Contact Us form to write in. Can't wait to hear from you. And with that, I think it's time to move on to everyone's favorite segment. Okay, boys, it's time for a knack snack that I've had cooking on the back burner for a little while. Ever since we did that episode about Rainer Burton, you know, the original Rocky in the first stage show, you know, the one with his little mishap in the pantal region. Ugh, my cock burns just remembering. Yeah, I do not want to revisit that one again. Sorry. No, I think we pumped that one for all it's worth. <laughs> Giggity. I want to know more about Rocky after the stage show. 
Like, why didn't Rainer get to play Rocky in the movie? And where the heck did Peter Hinwood come from? You know, the random guy that played Rocky in the movie. And apparently he didn't even sing. I heard that was someone else entirely. And then they cut out all of Rocky's lines. Like, I can't even think of what Rocky would have to say in the show. And then Peter Hinwood just disappeared off the face of the earth. And I've heard he runs some antique shop now and wants nothing to do with Rocky. I can't even keep track. Oh, Rocky. Oh, Rocky, indeed. So do the thing. Let's talk about Rocky. But, you know, the sexy, muscled, oiled-up hunk of burning love Rocky. Not like just talking about Rocky. Sounds good. Let's uh, let's kick this one off with the start of the movie. Uh, listeners who tuned into our episode about the producers might remember that in early 1974, as Lou Adler brought the Rocky Horror stage show to the Roxy Theater in Los Angeles, he was already planning for the eventual movie adaptation. And as part of the financial wrangling with Fox, Lou agreed to a smaller budget in order to keep a lot of the original cast from the stage show. Tim Curry, Nell, Pat Quinn, and Jonathan Adams, though he moved from his original role as the narrator into playing Dr. Scott. And he kept Meatloaf from the Roxy stage show, piggybacking off his rise to stardom as a genuine rock and roll superstar. Right. And Barry and Susan were brought on board to give some authentic American charm to Brad and Janet, both also being established film actors and lending a bit of experience to the cast and crew of primarily theatrical actors. So what happened with Rocky? Why didn't they want Rainer Burton or one of the other performers who played the role in the initial run of the stage show? A lot of it, from what I've come to understand, really just came down to the look. See, this was a time before bodybuilding and fitness culture was anywhere near as mainstream as it is today. You just didn't find a lot of hunky actors who could also sing and dance. That's one of the things that Rainer goes on about in length in his memoirs about his time during the stage show. And on stage, you can get away with penciled-in pecs. And with a liberal dose of oil and glitter, it can all come together to give you a very muscled look. You might also recall that for the stage show, Rocky was often played during the initial run with a lot more acrobatics. Jumping, running, picking up Janet, flinging her around the stage all kinds of things to really accentuate the athleticism without needing a perfectly chiseled look. Something that would eventually work its way full circle to the modern performances, where you have incredibly well-built Rockies not just looking incredibly pretty, but doing backflips and cartwheels and shit and all kinds of insane stuff on stage. So when the film rolled around, Jim Sharman was on the hunt for a muscular hunk that could fill the role of Rocky. According to Rainer Burton, Sharman had straight up told him that he would not have been right for the part. And it seems, as part of the compromise to find an actor that looked the part, Jim had to change Rocky's attitude and the underlying role quite a bit. Rainer Burton recalled that, at the very beginning of the stage show, Rocky was a very powerful character. He was a very nice, sort of Pinocchio-esque figure. He was, after all, featured on the original playbill. Rainer recalls that it was the movie that shifted the entire dynamic. Riff Raff became a major character, and has continued to be in the stage show since. But in the original, he was just a servant. And now, well, Rocky has shrunk down from the limelight into a far more minor character. So Rainer was out, and Jim found Peter Hinwood for the movie. Where did he come from? I've heard he was a model before he was cast in the film. He was. 
So before Rocky, Peter was self-described as like a very glamorous individual. He would wear hoop earrings and people would stop on the street to stare at his incredible good looks, much like me. But before Rocky, Hinwood's only previous big screen role had been in Roddy McDowell's Tamlin, which was starring Ava Gardner in 1970. He had also played the Greek messenger god Hermes in a 1968 television miniseries adaptation of Homer's The Odyssey. But his acting gigs were few and far between, and he spent most of his time modeling and as a photographer. And he practically stumbled into the role of Rocky. He was on holiday at the time, and some friends of his had heard that they were casting Rocky for the movie adaptation. They convinced him to go to the cinema in King's Road where they were holding auditions. He lip-synced to a Brian Ferry record on stage, and they told him he had the job. According to Peter, the production team had no idea what his abilities were when they had him mime that song on stage before they offered him the part. That seems a little nuts. I have to imagine Jim already knew at that point that they weren't looking for someone who could actually sing. And if they weren't going to have the character sing, they were cutting all of Rocky's lines from the script as well. Oh, for sure. There's actually one line that was cut that makes so much more sense when you add it back in. So right after Eddie disappears from the stage back into his Coke machine and Frank goes back to Rocky. In in the film, this is where Rocky's like banging on the elevator that Frank locked him in. And in the original stage show, Rocky asks Frank, How can you keep him around? He's so ugly. To which Frank replies, A certain naive charm, but no muscle. We had a mental relationship. Right before he launches into the Make You a Man reprise. Oh, that exchange makes a lot more sense. Those lines always feel a little awkward in the film. So yeah, Jim definitely knew that they were cutting all of Rocky's lines and dubbing over his voice. As Richard Hartley remembers, before filming began, they recorded a number of backing tracks, including Sword of Damocles. However, they chose to use a singer whose name is completely lost to history, someone who had been one of the many backup singers for artist Peter Straker. Straker is a Jamaican-born singer and actor who became close acquaintances with many of the Rocky Horror team through his role as HUD in the original London production of Hair. Peter makes appearances all throughout the early stories of Rocky Horror's upbringing, kind of as a master of ceremonies at the opening night party, and he ran in the same circles as Tim Curry and the other performers that had worked on Hair. Reportedly, he played Frank at some point, though I can't actually find out when or where. I mean, I certainly believe it. He's referenced a lot by all of the people who were directly involved in Rocky's creation. I suppose it's not surprising that they just grabbed one of his backup singers to do the backing track. They were just going to be played on set so the actors could lip sync. But that's not who sang the actual songs in the finished film, right? It was someone else? Right, and this was a bit of mystery for a number of years as the actual voice for Rocky wasn't credited in the film at all. But the man who sang Rocky was Trevor White. And as of last account, he lives in Australia and works as a record company associate. Originally from Essex, Trevor's first professional gig was as a pianist and vocalist with a band called Sounds Incorporated. During the 60s, the band backed artists like Sam Cooke, Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis. In 1964, they were the opening act for the Beatles on their world tour. Due to the Beatles tour, the band had a number of hit singles in Australia, and in 1971, when the band broke up, some members returned to the UK, while Trevor and some of the other members stayed in Australia. 
It was there that Trevor had his first run-in with Rocky, or at least with Jim Sharman. Out of an 800-person casting call, Trevor was selected to play Jesus in the original Australian production of Jesus Christ Superstar. In 1974, when his contract was up with Superstar, he returned to England for a bit of a break. In discussions with a friend, he learned that Jim Sharman was in town doing the film version of Rocky, and through that friend was recommended to Jim. According to Trevor, several people had already auditioned for the voice of Rocky, but nobody had panned out. Trevor met with the film's musical director, that's Richard Hartley, and sang a bit while Hartley accompanied him on the piano. After which, Hartley said, quote, Terrific! You've got the part. That's it? That's it. Turns out Rocky was every bit as incestuous back then as it is now. All you gotta do is know the right people. And in this case, Jim Sharman being the right people. Though, funny story, in From Concept to Cult, Trevor White tells the story of having to record the vocals for Rocky. Remember how we said before that it had used like an unknown backup singer for the backing tracks on set? Well, Trevor then had to come into the recording studio and watching Peter Hinwood lip sync to those backing tracks, then attempt to line his own singing up with the lip sync. Wait, so he's singing in time while watching the movie in order to match Peter Hinwood, who was in turn lip syncing to audio recorded by some other guy? You got it. Trevor even recalled during the recording for Sword of Damocles that the visual on the screen wasn't lining up with the music. But he couldn't do his recording in sync with the music, but he had to time it to be in line with Peter's performance on screen, and then they would adjust the backing music later to be in sync. That sounds like a nightmare. Indeed, and for all of his trouble, Trevor White was never credited, and Sword of Damocles was cut from the original LP pressing. It wasn't until 25 years later, on the 25th anniversary CD, that the recording was officially released. Trevor said he went out and bought the CD and was surprised to find his voice on it. Nobody had ever asked him or been in touch. Ah, standard music business. What a shame. And what about Peter Hinwood? Do we know anything more about him during the filming of the movie? Not a whole lot. Uh, in the interview he gives in From Concept to Cult, he mostly recalls all of the early morning film shoots and sitting for hours on end with the bandages wrapped around him. He said it felt like wearing a plastic bag. He does remember that he was only paid 150 pounds per week. And because they went out to eat every night, by the end of filming, he hadn't made much of anything. And of course, he received no royalties, so he hasn't seen a single dime from Rocky Horror ever since. Ah, standard filmmaking business. What a shame. Seriously. Peter did also recall that he had to see a trichologist during filming. That's a type of specialist for, like, hair and scalp care. Apparently, he had a lot of trouble due to the amount of bleach the hairdressers had to use during filming. Blonde is not his natural hair color. He also recalled filming the pool scene in the bits with the RKO tower, and though there was a stand-in, he still had to go up and down the ladder for the close-up shots. Fun fact, Trevor White even recalled that he had done some of the voiceover recordings for those parts of the movie during TakeOver. He recorded grunting and screaming for when Rocky is carrying around Frank and going up and down the tower. Oh, holy shit, is that why those parts sound so fucked up? Like, the screams are totally not coming out of the actor's mouth. <laughs> 
It's unclear what, if any, of Trevor White's vocals were dubbed over Peter's performance during the end of TakeOver, but it wouldn't surprise me based on just how disjointed all of that audio is during the entire end section of the film. So what happened to Peter after Rocky? How did he end up running an antique shop? So this mostly seems to boil down to Peter being a very reclusive kind of guy. So after Rocky... A lot of offers came in to do photo shoots and magazine work, but he remembered feeling like that would have been a step backwards. After all, I mean, it was what he was doing in between acting roles. He had a very small role in Derek Jarman's controversial Sebastian in 1976, which also featured Patricia Quinn, Little Nell, and the King's Road Theater's second Frankenfurter, Philip Sayer. But that was the end of his film career. Like, after that, he went into the antique business. And as Peter tells it, during the filming of Rocky, he had a day off and was in Christie's. He bumped into a friend of his who had been looking at the same picture, and they decided to split the cost. Peter had been buying and selling art for years, and after his friend suggested that they work together, he stopped his other careers and just began dealing in art and antiques full-time. He did keep his Rocky trunks, though. In the late 90s, he found them in an old drawer, of course, as you do, and put them up for auction. This is a travesty. They sold for a paltry 400 pounds. And after a brief stint on display at the Myrtle Beach Hard Rock Cafe, were moved to the Orlando Hard Rock, where they now sit today, along with an assortment of photographs that Peter took while he was on set. If you're ever in Orlando, the display is currently across from the downstairs bathroom at the Hard Rock Cafe in Orlando's City Walk. That's a little sad. (laughs) Don't leave us on a downer. Okay, here's a fun fact I discovered while doing research for this segment. In an interview with Richard Hartley, he specifically talks about his influences for a number of songs when he was working on them for the original stage show, including he talks about Sword of Damocles, which he said was directly cribbed from a 1962 song by Brian Heinland titled Ginny Come Lately. Interesting. Go on. So let's see if you can hear it. It's actually, well, here you go. Take a listen. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really hearing it. I'm not, yeah, I'm not hearing it. I own met you just a couple of days uh, ago oh. oh no I only met you and I no. want your loving so Ginny uh. come lately <laughs> now that is just standard music business and before we go if you missed it the first time I only had to see the sunlight in your hair Your soft, soft silhouette to know I'd always care Ginny come lately And I think that's our show! We want to thank the Michigan Rocky Heart Preservation Society for beautifying their community this Halloween season and also the Francis Bacon Experiment for entertaining us with their incredible minds on YouTube. 
If anyone has a question they'd like us to answer on air for Nikki Asks a Question, or some community news they'd like us to talk about, or even just a cool story to share with the Rocky Horror community, we'd love to include it in our show. Just go to our website, that's rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to tell us all about it. If you're enjoying Rocky Talkie, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It makes the podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps us grow the show. And if you want even more Rocky Talkie content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Bye! Bye! Hey, Nikki, did you hear the news about uh, Nikki Howard? Who's that? Nikki, how this dick, Howard D's nuts, gonna fit in your mouth? Do you wanna try try that again? (laughs) No. Bye. No, I think that's good. I'm sorry, Savannah just got home. Aha, there is someone. See, I told you. <laughs> you a little wet there, buddy? Savannah's wet. Same. Got him. The Community Choice Credit Union has submitted a Bandit Burglar Bob Scarecrow, complete with a baklava and a set. Complete with a baklava and sacks of cash that he presumably flinched from the Community Choice. That's a baklava. Baklava? <laughs> oh, that, that is what that is. What is it? Balaclava? What is it? Then why wouldn't you just write a ski mask? Nikki asked a question. La, 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 la. Tim Curry, Nell, Pat Quinn, and Jonathan Adams. Though, <clears throat> Choking on my own spit. Oh, my God. Hot. <sighs> What am I missing here, gentlemen? It it sounds like sort of Damocles. It's sort it's sort of Damocles. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was the lyrics. I mean, the no. song's called "Ginny Come Lately," so. <laughs> That's why I thought that it was like gonna be like sort of Damocles is hanging over me, Ginny. No. I don't know. Anyway, it's, let's it's wrap the it whole. up. <laughs> This ro- this Rocky Horror season, <laughs> this Halloween season, <laughs> Nikki, how are these nuts gonna fit in your mouth? With persuasion, that's and that's right. our show. Good night. Bye, everyone. Oh. Fuck, man. Can't believe I fucked. Yeah, right. It's a really good one. I'm mean, getting everyone. How are this dick? Yeah. How are nuts. this dick? How, how are this is dick? the duck?